0: Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude.
1: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to read all of Ecclesiastes 7 and the first verse of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 text today is, it's challenging to understand, and, uh, and this passage of scripture more so than most of Ecclesiastes, which is a tough book to understand. And so, because of that, I had to rely more heavily on good biblical commentators this week than I usually do in the course of my study. And so, the first section that I'm going to be talking about, uh, my understanding comes from Derek Kidner in his book, uh, The Message of Ecclesiastes, and then... A number of the quotes that I was able to use came from Phil Riken in his preaching the word commentary on Ecclesiastes. And let's remember as we hear this, this is God's word. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, is, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. The advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins." Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servants cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul, Has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is a bit of a change of communication style for the preacher, for Solomon, for the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now if you opened up the the Bible that was in your pew rack or one of the Bibles that we provided, you can probably see that the formatting of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 looks different from the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in shorter little bits, and the formatting in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 actually matches the formatting for much of the book of Proverbs. And the reason is this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, the preacher who has been leading us through this search for gain, this search for lasting meaning in this world, in this life, in this existence that we have under the sun, the preacher has now moved to saying proverbial statements, little brief wise comments about a whole host of different things because of that the flow isn't as simple to understand as a lot of the other parts of the book of ecclesiastes and it's a bit more choppy and it jumps around a little bit more but this is the way i see it best as i can do it there are three main sections here the first main section is the preacher talking about how sorrow is better sorrow is better than rejoicing the second part is, is uh, verse 13 through verse 18, and that's the part that tells us that, that God is sovereign. And then the final portion is verse 19 through 8, verse 1, and that just is telling us simply that wisdom is good. And so there are three sections of this passage. The first tells us that sorrow is better, that the second that God is sovereign, and the last that wisdom is good. And so let's first start by talking about how sorrow is better. Sorrow is better. Now, when we start reading this, it sounds very much like the book of Proverbs, right? Chapter 7, verse 1, the first part of verse 1, here it is. A good name is better than precious ointment. That sounds just like so many of the Proverbs that we read in the book of Proverbs that come from Solomon. But here's the second part of verse 1, which kind of feels like a punch in the gut. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth? Now that doesn't seem as immediately obvious, does it? A good name is better than precious ointment? Of course, all of us wants a good name. All of us think that that's more valuable than smelling good. It's, it's better to be thought of as a person of good character than thought of as a person that smells nice, right? That makes intuitive sense. But that the day of death might be better than the day of birth? Now that is a hard one to comprehend, And it goes on. It's better to go in the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting because this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness the face of the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. What is it that it's saying here? Well, what we're being told here is that there is more wisdom to be gained from death than there is to be gained from birth. There's more wisdom to be gained from sorrow than there is from joy. Here's what Derek Kidner has to say about it. The day of death has more to teach us than the day of birth. Its lessons are more factual and paradoxically more vital. At a birth, the general mood is excited and it's expansive. It's no time for dwelling on life's brevity or on human limitations. We let our fancies and our hopes run high. At the house of mourning, on the other hand, the mood is thoughtful, and the facts are plain. If we shrug them off, it's our fault. We shall have no better chance of facing them. The scriptures give us this notion of the fact that wisdom can be gained from these sorts of things in various different places. In Psalm 90, which is itself a psalm of wisdom, the writer of the psalm, Moses, says this, Teach us to number our days aright so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. For Moses, in that psalm, he's saying recognizing that life is brief and that life is short is one of the things that leads us to think and live wisely. When we realize that life is over in an instant, we live more wisely.
0: Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude.
1: And then the verse 3, tells us that sorrow is better than laughter, for by, the, by sadness of countenance, the heart is made glad. Now, this is another surprising verse, isn't it? Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness, the face of the heart is made glad. You'd think it would be the opposite, wouldn't you? You'd think that it would be that laughter is better than sorrow, for by laughter, the heart is made glad. But that's not at all what the preacher says here. It's that sorrow is better than laughter. What he's saying is that sorrow itself is a preparation for joy. Joy is not simply the laughter of fools. as It's described just a couple of verses down in verse 6. The laughter of fools. Sorrow itself is preparation for joy. It's in the midst of the sorrow when we learn to trust in God that we find that we grow in joy. And this is one of the hardest lessons for us to learn today in contemporary society. And this is the reason why. Anytime... When you are struck with a feeling of sorrow or there are thoughts that you don't really want to deal with, there's a very simple way to avoid thinking about those things or feeling those feelings. And I will tell you what it is. It's just this. Watch. Got it? That's all it takes. You know what this is right here? Other than a bunch of cute pictures of Elsie, which I pulled up right here. It is a, it is a machine that is a tool for infinite distraction. If there is any time where you are feeling something that you don't want to feel, all you have to do is just pull out your phone and just press a few buttons, and you are instantly transported to a place where you don't have to think about that anymore. You can find the funniest meme or the best cat gif or whatever, and you can find that you don't think about those things that were making you sad anymore. And so it's difficult for us to heed the words here and to recognize that sorrow itself is a preparation for joy, that in the midst That in the midst of sorrow, God is refining us and growing us. And if you just turn on the television or if you look at your phone or if you play some music or if you put on a podcast or if you do something to distract yourself from facing the sorrow, if you live that way, you will never be as mature or as wise or as complete a person as if you are able to actually look at the sorrow and feel it and carry it. Because it is in the heat of that sorrow, in the fire of that sorrow That the Lord refines you. And so look at it straight in the face. Feel it. At times deep and painful. And recognize that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And recognize that the God of the universe has promised that he will at one day wipe away every tear from your eye. And realize that he has not done that yet. He hasn't wiped away all of them yet. And with the power of God and the strength of the Holy Spirit, feel and carry your sorrow. And in the midst of the pain, trust God and find growing joy. Find that the Lord God himself all along has been cultivating joy in your heart. This is why sorrow is better than laughter. Because sorrow is better preparation for joy. In line with all of this, If you're desiring to grow in wisdom, because death and sorrow are better for growing in wisdom, a third way is to expect and appreciate rebuke. Expect and appreciate rebuke. That's what we're told here. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of the fools. If you desire to grow in wisdom, you're going to need to prefer to hear the rebuke that comes from a wise person more than you're going to want to listen to anything frivolous. Now hearing a word of rebuke is never fun. Hearing a word of constructive criticism, even the most well-intended word of criticism is never fun, and yet it is useful and profitable for gaining and growing in wisdom. If you want to become a wiser person, then you need to then you need to find friends who are wise, who want your best and are willing to in love rebuke you when you are doing things that are wrong. If you have never been rebuked by your friends, or if you've never been gently corrected, let me use a, another word that might make more sense. But I, I don't know why I want my friends to rebuke me, right? I rebuke you, Derek. You don't have to start it that way, right? But you can come and gently, co- I have a friend who says that to me, actually. He's a good guy. Um, <laughs> it, if, you, if you have no friend that's ever willing to come to you and gently correct, right? Be like, hey, I got to talk to you about this. Then you don't have great friends, they aren't great friends if they're not willing to, in love, tell you about that sort of thing. I, I remember one time I was, um, I was out with a group of friends. My best friend in high school, Jacob Borkas, was there along with me. We had I thought, a great evening. I had come back home. I got a call, and it was from Jake. And he goes, hey, man, I just, that, I just thought that the way that you were treating me tonight wasn't very kind. I thought that you were making me the butt of your jokes. And I didn't appreciate that. I was like, that is a a solid rebuke from my buddy Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. And in that moment, I knew that he cared about me and that we were good friends and that he was the sort of person I needed to have as a friend. If you live in this way, described here by Ecclesiastes chapter seven, recognizing the brevity of life, listening to wisdom, staring sorrow straight on and carrying it, then you will have the protection of wisdom. The protection of wisdom. You'll be shielded by wisdom. Here's verses 11 and 12. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and advantage to those who see the sun, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom gives to you protection. Wisdom is like the security that comes from having enough money to know that you're always going to be able to eat. Wisdom preserves you from having to live in the past, from getting stuck in the glory days that pass you by. And so this first section of the passage lets us know that sorrow is better for us because it enables us to grow in wisdom and therefore experience wisdom's protection. What the passage talks about next then is the sovereignty of God. In verses 13 and following, consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked in the day of prosperity. Be joyful and in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. What is this passage saying here? It's saying that when things do not seem right to us, it's not saying that God does things morally wrong. That's not what it means by crookedness here. But when God allows someone who is righteous to have their life cut short, or when God allows someone who is wicked to have their life prolonged, when we see that and we feel that it is crooked, we must realize that God is the one who is in control and God is sovereign. Verse 14 says it very clearly. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is sovereign. He is the one that's in control. And when you encounter difficult times in life that create sorrow, the response, the right response is to recognize that he is, in fact, in control. And so trust in him in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the sorrow. The point of the book of Ecclesiastes is to depress us enough that we would press into Jesus. And this is one of the passages that does that. Ecclesiastes recognizes that in this life under the sun, not everything seems equitable and right to us. It does seem as though the wicked should have their life cut off more briefly, and the righteous should be allowed to live for a long time. They're the ones who should be preserved, but it does not always work like that. Sometimes there's the thriving of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. And somehow in the midst of all of it, in the midst of prosperity and in the midst of adversity, God has made both of those days and God is the one who is in control. The Heidelberg Catechism helps us to understand this in question and answer 27. Let me read this for you. It's what do you understand by the providence of God, by God's sovereign providence? Here's the answer. It's the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade and rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. When difficulty strikes, or when sorrow comes, Understand that God is still in control. We cannot find out what the purposes of God is in this. Man may not find out anything that will be after him. We cannot know the secret will or purpose of God that brings these things to be in the course of our lives. And that's hard. That is one of the most challenging things, I think, in the Christian life. To experience genuine tragedy and be like, God, what is the purpose in this? And yet to keep trusting To know, God, you bring about days of prosperity and days of challenge and sorrow. And I don't understand that. I can't seek that out. And in the midst of my lack of understanding, I still trust. That's an extremely challenging thing for us to do. And then Ecclesiastes 7 surprises us with another one of these things that makes us question where it is that the preacher is going with this. Verse 16, do not be overly righteous and make yourself too wise. Now what in the world? The preacher's telling us not to be overly righteous now. Now, I don't want people to leave here and just get a bunch of speeding tickets and be like, well, don't want to be overly righteous. So I've been uh, disobeying some traffic laws throughout the week this week. Why is it that this is said here? What is, what's going on here? Don't be overly righteous. And then it says, don't be overly wicked. Don't be overly righteous and become too wise. Don't be overly wicked and, and be a fool. What could that possibly mean? Will some scholars, some biblical interpreters believe here that the preacher has just become so cynical that he's throwing up his hands and he's giving up? He's saying, I can't, I can't figure this out, so don't try too hard one way or the other. Just live your life and die. Some biblical scholars think that the preacher is, is illustrating the limits to wisdom here. In verse 23, we're told, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. Some are saying that this portion of scripture is him illustrating the fact that he was trying to be wise, but wisdom was far from him in this portion of scripture. So that so he's saying here, I'm illustrating the fact that at times wisdom eludes even me, and that's why I'm saying don't be overly righteous. Some have also said that some have also said that uh, it, this may be instead referring to someone who is pretending to be righteous or faking or feigning righteousness. Don't be overly righteous in a a pretend sort of way or don't trust in your righteousness. Here's what Phil Riken says. In that case, the person the preacher has in mind is too righteous by half. He does not have the true holiness that comes by faith, only the hypocritical holiness that comes by works. If that's true, then the the message is that we're not supposed to adopt that attitude which says, why do bad things happen to good people, me? I'm the good person that they shouldn't happen to. We're not the sort of people that should assume that we are righteous more so than everyone else, that we are righteous enough that nothing bad should happen to us. But the uncertainty that's contained within this section of the righteous sometimes having their life cut off, the wicked sometimes having their life prolonged, knowing that God is sovereign. Well, it should lead us, it should lead us to trust in the one who is certain. It should lead us to trust in God. And the last portion of our message this morning tells us that wisdom is good. This starts at uh, verse 19, and we have a series of proverbial statements again here that I'm going to try to run through quickly in the time that we have remaining this morning. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise uh, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Here's what that proverb is saying. A city would be strong with ten good rulers and their armies inside of it. That city would not easily be overrun. Similarly, if you are shielded by wisdom, then you are in a place of great strength. You are, to complete the metaphor, unassailable. Therefore, seek wisdom. Be wise. And if you lack wisdom, ask God to give you some because he gives graciously without finding fault. Verse 20 tells us that surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does not Who does good and never sins. This is some pure biblical truth for us. It's echoed in the book of Romans which tells us that there is no one righteous. No not one. It's echoed in the Psalms where David tells us surely I was sinful from birth from the time that my mother conceived me. This is the scriptural testimony about who we are. There is not a single righteous person under the sun. All of us sin, all of us have gone astray and therefore all of us are in need of redemption and that redemption can be found in one place. That redemption comes from Christ Jesus alone, his blood shed upon the cross, his powerful resurrection from the dead which is for us. There is not a righteous person under the sun save Christ and Christ alone. So trust in Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you.